This day is born to you a Saviour. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Uh, this morning we, we sort of looked at uh, the who is it that has come to us and today I want to look at tonight with you this question of uh, why and in what manner he has come to us so we can draw some benefit. Uh, you know, uh, I, I quoted for you today, this morning, somewhat a little bit of uh, the words of Saint Athanasius, and I think I'm taking for my guide. It is Saint Athanasius that points out that ultimately Adam and Eve were the first chosen people. Uh, they were the chosen people of God. They were the first of uh, God's creation uh, of uh, of men, and they uh, became sidetracked. We might say. Um, now we can look at the the their sin in as far as the the particular thing they did, they broke God's law by by eating of the forbidden fruit. But in a broader sense, we can say that even before they fell, they began slowly to be more focused on their own plans in this world. And you see then when Eve is tempted, she somewhat distorts the word of God to the serpent. Uh, is a sign that she'd already lost sight of the the plan for God had for her life and for the life of Adam, but they had their own plans, their own ideas, and this led them to deviate uh, and to offend God, and this deviation uh, set them on a path foreign to which the God had intended for them, and then later their descendants, uh, particular descendants of theirs, uh, who would be chosen to bring back, bring back, uh, fulfill once more, restore the plan of God. I said somewhat this morning, they, they, also, uh, they also failed, uh, failed miserably. And many times, uh, even uh, after they'd been led to the promised land, um, prior to that, they, they were made to dwell in the desert for 40 years to learn to trust God. And there they even failed. Uh, so essentially, uh, most of those, and maybe five or so, or, or, or even probably less of those, the original uh, dwelt in in Egypt. Uh, only five of them, of the original group, were entered into the Promised Land. And even then, they built this beautiful temple, and later God ensured that it would be destroyed because they trusted not in God but in the temple. So that was destroyed, and they were taken into captivity. And again, God would lead them back, and they would, the temple was restored. And again, they would deviate from God's plan, become even worse. So God ensured that even that temple would be destroyed and that would never, until this day, be rebuilt because they deviated from the plan that God had intended for them. But God says, St. Athanasius, God had told Adam and Eve that the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was uh, uh, the day that they would die. The death would be set in this corruption. And so he says, the eternal word and the incorrupt word of God would come down to make a perfect offering on our behalf. He who was innocence itself, he who was life itself, would come down to plead our cause and to sacrifice himself for us. But one thing that Athanasius rightly points out is that God would not repent of his word. That the day that you eat of the tree of the forbidden fruit, this tree of knowledge and evil, of good and evil, you will die. 
that God was not going to take back. That God was going to fulfill. He who upholds creation now, says St. Augustine, St. Athanasius, now he, he has entered into this world in a new way, stooping to our level in his love and self-revealing to us. He saw the reasonable race, that is us, the race of men, that, like himself, expressed the Father's mind, wasting out uh, our existence, and death reigning all over us in corruption. He saw the corruption held us all closer because it was the penalty for the transgression. He saw, too, how unthinkable it would be uh, for the law to be repealed before it was fulfilled. And so man became corrupt and began to uh, uh, depart from the plan of God. And so he saw how surpassing wickedness of men was mounting up against them. He saw also their universal liability to death. And this he saw and pity our race, moved with compassion for our limitation, unable to endure that death should have the mastery, rather than that his creatures should perish, and the work of his Father for us men come to nothing. He took to himself a body, a human body even as our own. And why is that? Because our Lord now intervenes. The second person intervenes and says, I will come and I will fulfill that plan. I will be the perfect uh, man, true man and true God. And I will fulfill the plan of the Father. Not so much just for himself, but to lead us, to teach us how to be incorporated once more back into that original plan of God intended for us, which was uh, to be with God forever. We had lost sight of that original plan that, that God had intended for us. And it's this, it's this point that St. Athanasius uh, makes, which is quite profound, and he namely states that God did not have to become man merely to redeem us. God could have done that without... Uh, uh, redeemed us without becoming man. But what God could not have done without becoming man is to teach us the right path to holiness. That man could not do. None of the, the law, uh, says St. Paul, only taught us the way to death. Uh, by telling us what thou shalt not do, our, our, our natural uh, propensity to evil is going to lead us to do it. Uh, the prophets of old weren't enough to stop the people of Israel from deviating from God's plan, regardless of how righteous and holy the prophets might have been. And that's why I said earlier, our Lord was not just some, some guru. He was God incarnate, and he taught us the way of holiness by his birth, by his life, by his passion, and by his death. He taught us how to be holy. Remember in the Old Testament, the Jews would say to Moses, you speak to God, you go and talk to him. They were afraid of God. Our Lord would become one of us to draw us to God, to make us understand that God is our friend. Yes, he is God, but he's, he loves us. He has, loves us beyond our comprehension. And he, he wants to be united with us and wants us to be united with him. Our Lord came to teach us what, what no guru could teach us, 
what no law could teach us. He would come and embody in himself to teach us by his own example. And that's why they, they would say to our Lord, uh, Master, teach us how to pray. And he would tell us how he prays. He gives us this great prayer of the, the Our Father. And not only does he give us this great prayer of the Our Father, but he gives us the, the ultimate and the greatest of prayers, which is not simply an expression of some words he made, but it was in his own very sacrifice, which he reminded us at the Last Supper to commemorate, to renew, to do. Uh, and then that we commemorate his passion and death. But not only that, again, he not only asks a commemoration, but a living reality in which he gives us the means to become holy in Holy Communion, the Blessed Sacrament. He teaches us. And that's why if you read, strangely enough, today's epistle for the Christmas Mass, you think of all the messages the Church wants to communicate to us, why does it give us these words of St. Paul? reminding us that our Lord, uh, he, He's led us by His example, teaching us to deny ungodliness and to live righteously in this world. Because this is precisely what our Lord came to do, to teach us the path to holiness by His example, by His life, by His passion and by His death. And today we focus a little bit on how He taught us this in His wondrous birth. In a, again, a way that we would never have expected. Uh, here, St. John Chrysostom says, Behold, what a wondrous manner is uh, for us to behold the birth of our Lord. Uh, I behold the Creator and the manger, child and swaddling clothes, virgin and mother, arrayed in much poverty. You see, however, what riches there are in great poverty. The rich one became poor as a gift to us. He does not have even a bed nor mattress. He is placed in his humble crib. He is, as St. John Chrysostom points out, he is the giver and the gift. He comes as a nobody, insignificant, and yet he is the gift to us. O poverty, O spring of riches, O untouchable riches, hid amidst poverty. In the manger he is laid, and the world he preserves. In swaddling clothes he is wrapped, and he breaks the bonds of sin. You have not spoken a word yet, and yet you teach the Magi about God. And it was St. Remigius that, that says that when the Magi came, they witnessed the miracle of our Lord's humility. Not our Lord casting out devils or working Miracles, but the miracle of the humility of God to dwell amongst men. And this is a profound reality that our Lord teaches us. He is not surrounded by, and this is a very profound point, he's not surrounded by not only the great ones of this world, but not even is he surrounded by the great ones of the religious world. And to a greater extent, the religious world at the time of our Lord, as you know very well, have become very uh, divided, confused, and decadent. And the church today is divided, confused, and decadent. And, you know, uh, the thing that I reflect upon as a priest is uh, I fear that 
and this is just a natural um, consequence of, of anything, of any human structure. You see the, the hierarchy today, and I think that they've got caught up in the concept of hierarchy. You know what I mean is position, office, uh, and you know there are so many different positions and ranking and uh, status in the church, and, and you sit here and you have this position, and you're, but it's blinded them to that they are actually called not to be a hierarchy as much as they are called to serve. Their positions are not an honour due to them, but a privilege bestowed upon them for which they will have to severely, and I insist on the word severely, answer to God uh, for uh, their carrying out of that privilege. And if they do not, they will be severely judged. But uh, their privilege, unfortunately, like so many in the time of our Lord, had blinded them. The Magi, the Magi in their honesty, in their integrity, in their simplicity, in their goodwill, were able to, to follow the star. And imagine that. Maybe you never think about it. Imagine, imagine one day someone you know, maybe your family member says, I, I'm going away. And you say, where are you going? Well, I don't know. How far? Well, I'm not sure. When are you coming back? Well, I don't know. You think they're mad. And they undertook a great, a, a great journey to follow uh, what their prophecies had told them because they firmly trusted in God and that they will be led to something great beyond comprehension. And they were. And yet the Jews, they knew the time of the Messiah. They knew the place of the Messiah. And when the Magi came, they were in great consternation. They pointed him out that the, the, the scriptures say very clearly he'll be born in Bethlehem. They go to Bethlehem and uh, they do not follow. Uh, their pride, their arrogance, their worldliness had blinded them. And the beautiful thing in that for us is, uh, I think, the same thing in the church today. Uh, sorry, it's good that you have come to Mass, but really the people who come to Mass today are much like the people that were at the stable. Uh, insignificant, people of not great status in general, um, not of, uh, of great uh, rank in the world or in the hierarchy, because most of the hierarchy for them, this, this sermon tonight is, is a burden. Uh, it's just a facade for a lot of them. And you see that, what they do in their daily lives, or how the way they live and preach and the scandals they give. Overall, I'm talking about mainly the bishops and the Pope in the church today. Very worldly, very materialistic, very earthly. Uh, but look who comes, the simple, the humble, the devout, the firm believers. And, and this is what our Lord wanted even though at the first Christmas, the, our Lord invited the, the humble shepherds, uh, doesn't mean that he intended to exclude us. On the contrary, he intended to include us. And we, we come uh, to Bethlehem in spirit. And we will gain the reward as though we had come because our Lord is not bound by time and he has invited us to come, to recognize him for who he is. And I, I think that the hardest challenge for us today is this, that to recognize that our Lord in the crib is God. He is God in the flesh. Many Catholics, when you tell them our Lord, the child, Jesus, uh, our Lord uh, is God, they don't get it. Aaron Grass is God. It's not just uh, a holy man. He's God. 
the second person of the Trinity became man, true God and true man in our midst. And this is a great privilege for us to understand, to grasp what many will see, what many will uh, not understand at the same time. How many religious uh, at the time of our Lord, how many people saw our Lord and saw the miracles and still did not grasp as though seeing they did not see and hearing they did not hear. What a privilege it is for us to see, to grasp and to understand the great treasure that we have of our Lord in our midst, his birth for us. What great service, what great honour he has done for us. And this is what the Chesterton rightly points out, that what a great paradox. Paradox is when you have two contrary things coming together, talking about a rich man who is poor or a fat man who is skinny. Two things that don't come together. And this is what uh, Chesterton points out. Uh, 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 Christmas is built upon a paradox. Christmas is built upon a beautiful and intentional paradox that the birth of the homeless child should be celebrated in every home. It should be celebrated in every home. A child in a foul stable where the beasts feed and foam, only where he was homeless are you and I at home. We have hands that fashioned and heads that know, but our hearts we lost, oh how long ago. To an open house in the evening, home shall men come, to an older place than Eden and a taller town than Rome. To the end of the way of wandering star, to the things that cannot be and yet are, to the place where God was homeless and all men are at home. It's interesting that Isaiah, the prophet, would, would say long ago that the ox knows his owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel has not known me and the people. Uh, has not regard for me. For us, our Lord's homeless place in the crib is where we should all be at home. And we make a place in our homes and in our hearts for him. And this is what he has come to, to teach us, to offer us and his way to transform us and through this lead us back uh, to the Father. The wonder fills me with astonishment, says St. John Christum. I see God, the God before all ages, as a child. He rests in a manger, he whose throne is in heaven. Human hands hold him, who is unapproachable, untouchable, and bodiless. He is wrapped in swaddling clothes, he who breaks apart the bonds of sin. However, this is his will, to transform this honour into honour, to array worthlessness in glory, to recreate assault into virtue. He took my body, he offers me his spirit. He grants me the treasure of eternal life, taking but also giving to me. He takes my flesh to sanctify me, he gives me his spirit to save me. Come, he says, let us rejoice together, let us celebrate. The manner of the feast is strange, as it is also the word uh, on the birth of Christ. Today are dissolved the ancient bonds. The devil is uh, disgraced. The demons flee. Death is dispelled. Paradise is opened. The curse disappears. 
Sin is cast out and error is driven away. Truth is revealed. The message of piety is poured forth and is given everywhere. The kingdom of heaven is transplanted to earth. Angels speak with men and have been united. Why? Because God has descended to earth and man has ascended to heaven. God descends to earth and again is found in heaven. He is holy in heaven and holy on earth. He became man and is God. He is God and took on flesh. He has uh, held in a virgin's arms and with his hands holds the whole world. What a beautiful thought for us to consider as we offer this midnight mass. Glory to God in the highest and peace to men of goodwill. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Amen.